Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Steven Morales. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for sitting down with us. So uh, for the people that don't know who you are and didn't pay attention to the Closers Olympics at all, uh, why don't you <laughs> introduce yourself and uh, tell everybody a little bit about what you've done in real estate? Sure. So uh, Steven Morales, I've been doing sales for over 11 years. Um, you know, I start off multi-level marketing, door-to-door, -door, phone sales, door-to-door -door again, then real estate investment acquisitions. Uh, been specifically involved in real estate for uh, about six years. Um, and people know me as the master closer. You know, I took a lot of skills I learned through my sales career, uh, implemented that into real estate investment acquisitions. You know, the beauty of it, beauty of it <clears throat> is that you can actually do this virtually, right? So a lot of like the techniques and skills that I took from my sales career when I implemented that into real estate investment acquisitions, it just clicked very well. Anybody that has a sales background transitions, you know, fairly smoothly into uh, real estate investment acquisitions. And I've closed, you know, deals in person, on stage, virtually over 90 percent of my deals are uh, locked up virtually. So that's what I'm Love going it. for. Yeah, and, and I definitely, you know, we called this episode the art of closing deals virtually. I think that's a topic that is very important for, you know, what's going on in the world today with with COVID. Everybody's trying to move a little bit to some form of a virtual model. So I definitely want to dive into that. You know, as, as far as your your closing styles, when, when you first got into to real estate investing and you were doing acquisitions, you know, did you notice any differences between sales skills from your previous careers to, to transferring over to real estate investing? Yeah, the main thing that I really uh, realized is for anybody that's watching that, you know, is doing or has done door to door, you have to make a good first impression. You got to engage that person right up front. Um, you know, multi-level marketing is a different industry over the phone sales is, you know, obviously kind of similar. But the thing is, when I started doing um, real estate investment acquisitions, I really had to not only spend the right amount of time on the right leads, but whenever I had somebody interested, my approach is a little bit more systematic, you know, unlike your very aggressive style, which worked out great, which was surprising. But um, I want to get people, if they're on the hook, I want to make sure that I get all the questions answered quickly. I want I want to make sure I know what my offer is at least within seven minutes. I want to know why they want to sell, when they want to sell, how much they want to sell for. Uh, what I realized in the real estate investing world is that every conversation you're going to have with the homeowner, since you're making an offer and not selling a product, right, is it's going to be different. Somebody might be venting to you. Somebody may be inherited a house. Uh, you might get angry landlords, but every conversation is different. The thing is you have to redirect them back to exactly uh, what questions you need answered in order to give them the best offer possible and negotiate and close a deal. You know, what's funny is, is my last episode was with Keith Everett. Obviously yeah. he was one of the guys that was running the closers Olympics. And I asked him about that. I said, Hey, was there, 
anybody that stood out to you in the closers Olympics, you know, and, and he gave me a shout out, but you know, Hey, he was on my podcast. So he was kind of, he was forced <laughs> to do that. Uh, but he, but he brought you up and he, he talked about just, he never felt like you made a mistake in any of your calls. He felt like you were just so technically sound. You were always saying exactly what you need to say. How did you get to that point? Because look, I mean, there was 12 of us going through the closers Olympics, right? And, and yeah. all of us do this on a regular basis, but for you to stand out and be so technically sound, is there, did you go through any sales training? Were you, is it just natural? How did you get to that level? I think what it really, what it really is, is not only repetition, but, um, you know, something that I actually did in one of my last colleges, uh, classes in college before I dropped out was public speaking. And, uh, you know, I can actually literally, since I've done so much stuff on, on stage and talked to hundreds of people, close live deals on stage and all that, all that fun stuff, I just feel like I'm in my zone. Like, I literally have a good time. I don't feel pressure you know it's no different than talking to hundreds of people on stage so you know the first round you guys saw me actually talking through what i'm about to do and what's go what's going to happen i should let the judges talk more in their commentary but i was having a good time and i was telling people what's going to happen um you know and with that came a lot of repetition you know uh, i know people just starting out they may not have the confidence they might not have the mindset to be prepared for rejection because a lot of sellers you, you talk to, they're going to call you a scam. They're going to say no, F off, all this stuff. But after doing that so long throughout my sales industry, getting rejected, getting door slammed in my face, it you, you get to a point where you do it so much where it doesn't bother you what's going to happen. And then you do it so much to a point where you already know how they're going to respond and what to say. So uh, a lot of repetition, you know, years of uh, experience, not only throughout the sales career, but in real estate investment, uh, closing deals over the phone. You know, practice makes so, perfect. Yeah, you, yeah, you brought up closing deals on stage. And and look, I, I, I haven't seen you close a deal on stage, but I know leading up to Closers <laughs> Olympics, people talked about this. And all I kept telling myself was, is I don't want to go up against Steven in the first round, man. Like, That's what I wanted, cool. man. That's what I wanted. <laughs> So, so let's talk about that for a little bit. You know, obviously you were given the opportunities to speak in front of, you know, hundreds of people on stage, teaching them how to do this. You know, I, I've spoken in front of people. I have never once thought like, Hey, I'm going to try to close a seller on stage. So how did that come about? How did you decide one day? Like, Hey, let's just, let's just do it right here live in front of everybody. And, and try to close the seller from stage. Yeah, man. Before the pandemic, I mean, Nowadays, there, there's more education out there. There's a lot more gurus out there now that there were when I first started. But I don't, you know, I'm the type of guy, if I'm going to teach the audience something, I want to show people that not only am I still active in the industry, still doing what I'm teaching, but I'm actually, I can actually prove to you. So uh, to make myself a little bit different than other other people out there, and there's good and bad stuff out there. I just pick random people in the audience. I say, anybody have any leads they'd like me to call? Uh, you know, I have no idea what market they're in. Some in Las Vegas, some in Texas, markets that I'm not in yet. And they just bring their computer up there. We uh, connect it. You know, they show the basic information. We I just call the lead. Um, just because I'm so confident, I mean, the worst, the worst thing they can say is no, but I, I feel 
at this point in my life that um, anybody I speak with, if it, if it's a good lead, as long as I approach them in the exact same manner I've been doing for the longest, it just works. And what's really cool is people get to see that live. There's courses, education out there, but it's different when people see that live. And I was going to tell you a little bit more about my deal testing I have here in a moment where I'm starting to do that with other people's leads. As of last week, we launched that program. Well, let's go into it. They tell yeah. us more about it. So last week, uh, so I signed a publishing deal with Real Advisors in February. And, um, you know, they're a great, amazing publishing company. They work extremely hard, you know, Inc. 5000 company. And um, basically, you know, they put together the events, the content. I just show up and do my thing and they, they work extremely hard. But what I love, something we came up with is uh, the deal desk. So last week we launched a program called the deal desk. And basically every Friday at 12 p.m., the audience, no matter who it is, you guys will all have the opportunity to submit leads. You go to realadvisors.com slash deal desk. You submit your leads. There's a specific criteria. And then I call them live. You know, the very first one we, we did yesterday, we got verbal uh, offer accepted uh, on that. And then the other training I had back to back, people got verbal offers accepted, pretty good deals. Um, and you guys keep 100% of the profit. If you'd like to JV with me, you know, you're absolutely more than welcome to. I'd love to do that. But it's just about giving people what they want to see. I don't see anybody else out there. You know, um, some people do live calls on their own leads and some people analyze deals and that's great. But I feel like I can close any anybody's leads, you know. So anybody that wants to submit your leads, you'll go through a, a form, fill it out and you'll see me call your deals live. So there's no hiding. There's no, I'm not calling my own deals. I'm calling the audience's deals. I love it. And real quick, since you brought up, you know, the, the real team and real advisors and all of that, uh, probably six, seven episodes ago, I had Lee Carney on. Um, yeah. Great guy. If you haven't checked out that episode, go do it. It's probably one of my favorite uh, interviews that I've ever done. Not only did he break down just step by step what he feels like everybody should be doing during these times, during COVID and all of that. But he also shared his story of overcoming COVID and beating it personally himself. Um, and so it, it was a very inspiring episode. So just wanted to give that shout out real quick because that was a very, uh, yeah. very cool episode. Um, so let, let's talk about closing deals virtually, man. You know, you're, you're doing it for other people. You've been doing this for a while. Um, and I think right now with everything that's going on, I mean, I know as soon as you know, COVID hit back in March and the NBA, you know, announced, hey, we're shutting down. March Madness is shut down. It was like, okay, this this is real, you know, like, so the world is changing. And, and I always preferred to close deals virtually rather than going on appointments. Even if it was, you know, 10 minutes down the road, I just prefer to close it over the phone. That's my personal opinion. And, and you know, I... Everybody in my company disagreed with me. So we were still setting appointments. I kind of deferred to them, but I, I kind of got my way and said, hey, guys, we're going completely virtually. So it, it, where you are right now, how many markets are you closing deals in right now? Right now, I'm in Florida, Georgia, Virginia. Um, as of er, late, actually, during the pandemic, late February, I kind of um, broke away from a, a, a partnership. I'm doing, you know, my building my own thing now, but I'm involved in like flips, wholesale. I got a few other companies, a drone company, ATM company, obviously the education stuff going on. 
But right now, Florida, I'm, I'm from Tampa. I'm doing deals in Tampa, Orlando, other parts of Florida. Um, I'm involved in multifamily commercial stuff as well. But right now, I actually have uh, four flips going on. Um, we started doing it late March, and uh, it's going really good. And, you know, last year, real quick, la like last summer, when I did my first flip, um, a lot of people like to, you know, show everybody's wins, but they don't talk about their lessons, hard lessons, their losses. Last summer, I, I was flipping my first house with, the, with the, the wrong business partner. I ended up making zero dollars, a big zero. Some investors told me I was lucky because some people, they go to the closing table, they actually have to pay, right? Yeah. Which I guess, thank God I haven't experienced that. Um, but, you know, I'm actually doing a lot of flips that I thought, and it's really what it comes down to is just having the right people and processes in place. Kind of like you, you do things well, you're doing flips in Hawaii over there, man. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we do flips all over the country and it's funny you bring up writing a check. I actually just had to do that for one here in Dallas. And man, if this fly does not leave me alone, we're going to ruin this interview. <laughs> but no, I, I, I have had to experience that unfortunately. Um, and uh, it, it, look, it's a, it's a part of the business. You know I mean? It's, it's never fun to have to write a check, but, Look, I can go back and I learned aspects of of analyzing a deal that I I thought at this point when we purchased that property that I there was no way in the world that I could learn something about analyzing a deal. But now looking back at it, I'm like there was four to five things that I learned on analyzing a deal as a as a rehabber in comparison to being a wholesaler. Mm -hmm. that I learned from that. And so it's important that even though, hey guys, wherever you are in your journey, you're always learning, you're always trying to get better because, you know, I, I could have looked at that, blamed it on somebody else, but I just had to look internally, take ownership over it and said, hey, that was that was my fault. And uh, it wasn't because I made the decision too quickly. Uh, funny thing, I actually spent four hours at this property before I decided to purchase it uh, doing due diligence. And uh, and wow. I totally just missed missed a, an aspect of it. It had an upstairs bedroom that had no bathroom, and I just didn't understand the importance of that. And all we heard for the hundreds of days it was on the market was, "is it's a great rehab, we love it, but we're not going to purchase it because the upstairs doesn't have a bathroom." So just things that you learn, and and it just took massive price reductions to get down to it. So yeah, it's a, it's important to, when you make that transition from wholesaling to rehabbing, just understanding the different aspects of deal analysis. But yeah. uh, getting back to to closing deals virtually, man. So let's let's kind of break this down, get a little bit granular for the people that are are wanting to make this transition because there is a massive difference between getting on the phone and saying, hey, I'll be at your house Tuesday at 10 a.m to come to a walkthrough and closing in person to right then and there trying to close the deal over the phone. So uh, what what are some of the steps that you take uh, when you're on the phone with somebody kind of build that rapport and trust? Because I think that's the, the number one thing that I've heard from people is, is how do you build rapport over the phone? Like, how do you make them feel like you're a real person if they're never going to see you? That's, that's a great question. For everybody listening, I want you to write this down. I'm about to give you a gold nugget. Something so simple that I do that you can build rapport without even trying. So when, when you're doing this stuff over the phone, 
you know, you don't want the whole conversation to drag along and build rapport for hours and hours. You have to make sure that you know what's off for them. Um, you have to ask them the qualifying questions. But something you can build rapport in the very beginning, what I personally like to do is when I get their name and their address, what I do is I copy and paste that address onto Google. I look for a nearby street or landmark, right? And something they can relate to. For example, I'm in Tampa. If I'm talking to uh, John Smith on 123 Main Street, and I copy and paste that next to the, uh, and I see he lives next to the Buck Stadium. I say, hey man, your house is right next to the Buck Stadium, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, hey, you heard they just signed Brady Gronkowski. It's gonna be a crazy season. And you know, if he's a football fan, a football fan, we'll get into it. But basically, something so small like that is gonna open a door where that'll lead to whatever rapport you want to build, right? So something simply by saying you live next to that stadium. When we start talking about football for a little bit, and then we get back to the qualifying questions. And some people, you know, if you're talking to somebody that there's no landmarks, if there's no schools, churches, you know, museums, you want to find something like that. But if there's nothing, you want to find a street that directly connects with theirs. Hey, isn't that next to uh, ABC Street? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Right. So I want to name some something they can relate to. So if they're going to the grocery store and that street's connected. They see that they go by that street every single day. And you guys will be surprised if you guys, if you have your calls recorded, replay the calls, try out what I'm showing you, replay the calls. Sometimes you'll even hear the homeowner get excited just simply because they know what you're talking about. And this doesn't have to be just in your market. You can do this anywhere. But yep. I like doing that in the very beginning because really the, the more positive I set the tone in the beginning, the rest of the conversation is going to go a lot more smooth. Absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll use an example of, of myself doing that. Uh, so we have certain markets that we, we rehab, we wholesale in frequently. One of those is Anchorage, Alaska. I actually just went up to Anchorage, Alaska a couple of weeks ago, spent about nine days up there working on one of our projects, checking out our other projects and things like that. And when I was there, I got to learn the city pretty, pretty decently, you know, I mean, driving the same roads over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I get this lead and during the call with the seller, she's, she's telling me where it is. And she had asked me up front, like, Hey, are you local to Anchorage? And I told her, no, we have a local branch there, but I actually live in Fort Worth, Texas. She's like, Oh, okay. And I could kind of hear that she was a little bit disappointed when I said that. Not to the point where she wanted to get off the phone, but it was kind of like, man, I was really hoping I was talking to someone local, right? Mm -hmm. and, and as we continue to go, she's telling me where the property is. And I could sense that she was overly explaining where this property was because she didn't think I was local. And so while she's telling me this, I look it up like you're talking about on, on Google and I'm like, I know exactly where this is. And I said, um, you know, Miss Seller, I know exactly where this is. This is right off of Strawberry Road. I've got a flip off of Ascot right off of Strawberry. And I actually had breakfast at the diner right off of Strawberry in this road. Nice. And she's like, oh, so you know the area. And suddenly it was like, I was now local. Like now, <laughs> now I'm the local boy. I know exactly what she's talking about because of exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I know that sometimes a little bit more difficult if you haven't been to the market and, and so you, you really don't know that. But to your point, if you're using a, a major landmark like the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Stadium, you know, I mean, 
that you're not going to fall on your feet. Like you don't want to bring up the restaurant that's now closed down or something like that. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I have done that before where that was yeah. quite embarrassing. Oh, man. But, but, you know, bringing something up and, and hearing, and it, I agree with you, that excitement comes out of them. So mm-hmm. once you move past that point, how do you handle the objection of, I want you to see the house. If say this house is in Virginia, that's one of your markets that you're virtually closing it. If they say, I want you to see the house before you purchase it, how do you handle that objection? Yeah. So anytime I'm in a, whether it's my own backyard or anywhere else, you know, I close deals virtually. I have boots on the ground. Those boots on the ground are agents. And it's funny you ask that question because on deal desk, Last Friday, the guy said, why don't you come look at the house? You can't make an official offer. Watch this, right? And then um, I overcame it. And then we just started talking. And then he verbally accepted. How did, that, how did I get to that point? So basically, anytime somebody says, how can you make an offer without looking at it? That's impossible. Well, based upon the condition you're about to tell me after the questions I ask you, there's a formula I have in place based upon the condition, the score footage. You know, I run my calculations. There's a formula I have that allows me to buy 10 to 15 properties a month. So, and then I just kind of redirect them back. Can you tell me information about the house? So the main thing when it comes to that is you want to let people know that you have a specific formula, whatever that formula is, it could be whatever you want, but you have a process of formula that you do and you need to know their condition is. So based upon the condition and the square footage and yada, 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 I have a formula I have in place that allows me to purchase 10 to 15 properties a month, right? So you tell them you're doing volume and you tell them you have a formula and then you redirect them back to questions. And usually after you tell them that, you know, you seem a lot more credible and they just go with the flow, you know? Yeah, agreed. And I, I find it interesting that you tell them 10 to 15 deals a month. Uh, and, and the reason why is because I've always used more like three to five deals uh, because I didn't want to tell them that I bought that many because I didn't want them to then think that we were flush with cash that we would essentially overpay. And maybe yeah. that's me overthinking it, but have you ever felt like that number hindered you in the process or has that always just been what you've gone to and it's it's never really yeah, been? It's always, I guess it's just personal preference. I mean, we have done a lot of, in these markets. I do a lot of JV deals too with uh, our audience from, um, you know, the education stuff. So we do a high amount. I really haven't found that it's hurt me in any way, but I do like that point. I do like that point. Yeah, I've always just had that fear that if I tell them I'm buying 15 deals a month, they're going to be like, oh, well, this guy's got plenty <laughs> of cash. And so when I tell them, hey, I can only be at $100,000, you know, I don't want them to use that against me where they're like, dude, you're buying 15 deals a house. You can easily do 125 or, you know, I don't yeah. want them to leverage that against me. Uh, and maybe that's just me overthinking it a little bit. But again, you know, this is this is the beauty in closing deals is that there's so many different ways to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's personal preference where you feel comfortable. Um, and, and I want to talk to you about that because everybody talks about my aggressive nature in the closers Olympics. Right. So now I have everybody asking me, you know, are you always that aggressive? And so I, I've kind of backed off of the aggressive term a little bit because it was like, part of why I think everybody felt like I was overly aggressive is, is because I was like hanging up on people and moving on to the next call. It's like, that was a competition. Okay. I don't do that. <laughs> we, had a time limit. We, lo- we had a time right. limit. So. 
Right. There was a shot clock in my face. Okay. Yeah. So uh, when you when you are your closing style, it's it's you know it, people have used the term technical. I mean, that's what I've heard about you. You were yeah. technical. I was aggressive. That's what people have said. Do you feel that you are true to yourself and and you're just being authentic, or or do you feel like you're actually using techniques? It's a great question. I will always, always be myself, always. Uh, I guess the technical side is really technique, but sometimes I tell homeowners stuff that they don't want to hear. If they if they got a higher offer from somebody else, I'll literally say, hey, if I were you, I would go take that offer. There's no way I'm even going to be able to make a uh, cash offer close. Like you should go and take that right now. So I'm not the, I don't like, you know, I feel like a reason that where I'm at today, where I'm so successful at virtual acquisitions, because throughout my whole sales career and even up to this point, I've always been very transparent, upfront and honest. I'm never a manipulative person, but I always like to influence people on making the best decision for themselves where it's a win-win situation. So I control the conversation when it comes to technical techniques, all that stuff. I love controlling the conversations, getting my questions answered in a very specific order, but I never pretend to be somebody I'm not. And I feel like people appreciate you more when you're just yourself, you know, whether you're aggressive, you're passive, you're technical, just, um, you know, just be an influential person, just be yourself. And um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I'm very, yeah, I love that answer because I think people want to know like, Steven, can you teach me how to close like you? And it's like, unless we have identical personalities you really shouldn't be trying to close like steven like mm -hmm. you should close like yourself and yes there are techniques that you can use and, and like you said control the conversation of course that's important but still be yourself like mm -hmm. don't use some of the same language and 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 literally become steven morales like that's yeah. not going to give you long-term success like the closer Olympics, 12 different styles. And these guys are all doing deals, you know, right. they're not. You, you, you know, think close. Steve Train could, could pick the phone up and try to close like me? <laughs> no, I mean, it wouldn't even sound right. You know what I'm saying? We would all be like, Steve, what are you doing? You know, yeah. like, so stop, stop. Always be go yourself. Be, go be negative and, and do all the things that you normally do, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and look, he's learned a lot through the Sandler sales training. Uh, on how to go negative and how he controls the conversation. He controls the conversation uh, very differently than you do. He controls the, the conversation by saying, you know, now's probably not a good time to talk, right? And and then they say, no, actually, I, I do need to talk to you. And, and he, he pulls them in by mm -hmm. pulling back. Uh, one thing that I, I will say, when you were going in the first round, you did a lot of talking to the camera while the seller was talking and and the the judges kind of gave you a hard time about that they were like hey he should be focused on the seller and it was funny because i completely disagreed with them because <laughs> i was like no i think this is where steven is being true to himself yeah. and just he's he's being comfortable because you do do a lot of education and closing other people's deals mm -hmm. on camera or on stage was that something that you were doing to just try to help out the audience or is that something that you do so often you weren't even really thinking about it? I, I wasn't even really thinking about it. I, I, like I say, I'm always in my zone. I always want to be first. Any kind of competition or 
I don't know, event or something, I want to be the first person to go so I can set the tone for the rest of the competition. And it's funny that you bring that up because in my mind, I wasn't trying to be rude or like just like, you know, do whatever and not take the spotlight from the judges. I was literally being myself in the zone. I wasn't even thinking about it. All right. I really cared about was the shot clock, obviously, and uh, just showing the audience because at the end of the end of the day this is all about the audience regardless of how we're scored who wins whatever the audience are the winners because they are the ones getting their deals closed they're the ones learning so i got into that stage mode where like all right this is what's gonna happen this is what's gonna happen this is what i'm gonna say so i was just like in the zone you know and i think that's awesome like you yeah. were just being true to yourself i yeah. i had i got flack because hey i showed some of my passion round two you know, I, I look straight at the camera because I had four <laughs> deals just on the MLS, and I'm like, y'all need to do your job better because I'm trying to put on a show here, and I can't do my job. I'm getting yeah. judged on how I'm going to do my job. I'm going to let you know. And, and people were like, hey, RJ lost his cool. He went negative and stuff like that. I, I didn't lose my cool. You saw that when I talked to the seller 10 seconds later. I, I was completely normal, but that's just yeah. who I am. I mean, yeah. that's, that's literally who I am in this office. I mean, it, I wasn't doing that for the cameras. I mean, I'll do the same thing. If I if I get my lead manager sends me four leads and says, here, RJ, we got four hot leads for you, and I call four in a row, and they're all listed on the MLS, I'm going to be like, what, are, what did you smoke <laughs> this morning? Like, what are we doing over here? True. Like, just wasting my time, you know? So I, I think it's funny to just – out of everything I learned from the Closers Olympics, which I learned a lot, I watched every second of it, all 20 hours. Um, I even watched Adrian's celebration, um, even though I was throwing up in my mouth watching it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the one thing I learned was, is just be yourself. You know, even Adrian, who ended up winning, I mean, he had his little rapport building was way different than everybody else, where he's like, you know, hey, it's a holiday weekend. What you drinking this weekend? I have never once asked the seller, what are they drinking this weekend? You know what I'm saying? So just seeing how everybody was authentic and transparent uh, was awesome. And I think that's a huge aspect of closing deals virtually. Now, let's let's talk about on, on the technical side of things. When we actually get down to, all right, we, we just met this seller on the phone. We've been talking, let's say, 15, 20 minutes. And now we have to actually talk numbers. Mm. How do we how do we break that ice where it's like you yeah even though you might have built rapport you really don't know this person as well and, and we saw this with Chris Jefferson right Chris yeah. Jefferson and bought built great rapport oh and man as as he made the offer dude she went ice cold on him yep. and he tried to bring it back every way yeah. he bought even called her back. And, and she was not having it. So how, and I think that's because, you know, it was like, she almost felt like he, she was getting sold, right? Like mm -hmm. she was like, Hey, you built all this rapport. I liked you. And then all of a sudden you just slapped me in the face with this low offer. So how do you overcome that virtually? Great question, man. You're asking really good questions. So the way that I do on every lead the thing is, the first thing, before you even give the offer, you have to give proper expectations. So something for me is I tell every homeowner, hey, as an investment company, I don't buy every property I look at. However, I do have a team of agents just in case we're not a good fit. So that automatically lets them know you're, you're going to expect a low offer, number one. 
All right. That's the first thing I do. The second thing I do is anytime I give an offer to somebody, as weird as it may sound, I don't give offers. I give offer ranges, but I set proper expectations and then I get, give a ridiculous like anchor price. Most of the time, you know, I expect people to get insulted or hang up the phone. Doesn't matter. I call them right back and ask them if we got disconnected. But I always anchor price. Why do I anchor price them so low? I don't care the condition. I don't care if it's a lot like anything. I just look for the lowest price property. And anchor price is not my offer. The reason I anchor price is to see how motivated is this person? Is this somebody that is really not worth having conversation? Are they way too high? They're way too low. How are they going to respond? So when I anchor price somebody, there's two things that are going to happen. Number one, they get insulted. Hey, I would never, never sell my house for that much. You're out of your mind. You're wasting your time. No, that I completely understand, Mr. Seller, but that's not my offer. I'm not saying that's what I'm going to pay you. I'm just giving you facts of the neighborhood. Oh, okay. So now I know this person probably wants a lot more. And the thing is, since I set the bar so low, Anything above that, the offer is just going to get better and better. Some people make the mistake of giving the offer right off the bat, which is their maximum allowable offer. Now you're stuck there. Like you can't go get a juicier. You can't. If you go up, your your deal gets smaller. So I anchor price. I see how they respond. Two things are going to happen. They respond negatively or they say, well, let's say your max offer is 150. Hey, I see this property on uh, Main Street. Are you familiar with Main Street? Yeah, well, there's property in one, two, three Main Street, so for fifty thousand, then I'd be quiet. And sometimes people will say, "Well, I, there's no way I could sell for that much, man. I really need one hundred twenty-five. Like when homeowners say they don't know how much they want for their house, they're lying. Now they may not know how much it's worth, but they will always know the least they'll take. When you're negotiating right. with somebody, you got to make sure they negotiate against themselves, show their cards first, okay? Make it a win-win situation, obviously. But that's what I do to bring out a price out of somebody or at least gauge more or less what, what range I'm going to get into. And I want to bring up a point that you just brought up there. The seller will not, the, you know, they're basically lying when they say, I, I don't know how much I want. Yep. And, and I want to bring up a perspective here because I think sometimes we forget that this might be one to five times in their lifetime that they might sell a house, right? Mm -hmm. That's the majority, that's what the majority of the world, they only sell a house a handful of times in their life, right? It may be, that's even a lot, you know, it might only happen two or three times in their lifetime, but we do it on a daily basis. Sometimes it's like, they don't know to say the, the, least I'll take is 125 because they don't know what that really looks like as far as closing costs and how much am I actually netting and maybe they don't know what happens with prorated taxes and their mortgage and all of that they they just don't know how it works for example if you were to walk into a car dealership today and they said how much are you willing to pay for that car you're actually probably going to be majority of people are going to base it off of what the monthly payment is not how much they're going to pay for the car. So they're not going to say 50000 because I know that equals out to be a $700 a month payment. Yeah. What they're going to say is, is Mr. Financial Manager, can you tell me what the monthly payment would be? Because I know I'm willing to pay $700 a month for my car. And, and at that point in time, they break it down. So sometimes we assume when we ask them, how much are you willing to sell your house for? And they say, you know, I don't, I don't know. 
they actually might be they don't know because they know they need to net a certain amount so there's ways that you could kind of walk them through what understanding what their pain is why mm -hmm. they need to sell their house and then understand what they need to walk away with and then you can reverse engineer it back those are some of the yeah. things that that I, we do and to be honest with you I'm, the one aspect of the closer olympics that i feel like missed out because of the shot clock is that a lot of us could not show those skills because when i get on calls with people and i break it down that way those calls usually range between 45 minutes to an hour long yeah uh, because you're really then getting to understand what that seller actually needs but i love the idea of throwing out that anchor price to see how they respond because how often do you throw out a well i see this household fifty thousand, and the guy says yeah, I could probably do mine for about 55, <laughs> you know, always gonna more. but, but at that point in time, what you're saying, you were probably willing to offer like a hundred, but you threw out this low anchor price off of facts, right? You're, you're pulling it yeah, from something. real facts, yeah. real facts. Like this is, this is real life. Like you've got the numbers in front of you. You see a property that sold for 50 and then he throws out a number that's less than what you were willing to, to offer. And, and I think that's where it, it, the other aspect of this is, is when you throw out that anchor price, and this is probably the most important part of the anchor price, you say it and then you shut up. Yeah. Like, and, and you've said this, Antonio said this, Keith said this, this is three interviews in a row on here, guys. Every single person on here has said the most important part is there are points in time in the conversation where you just stop talking. Mm-hmm that is what makes a great closer so when you're when you're teaching people do you have certain points in time in the conversation where you i know you talked about the anchor price here but are there other points and times in the conversation where you tell them like hey guys just shut up and don't don't try to be the rock star closer but just listen to what mm -hmm. the seller has to say yeah um that's a great question so you have a lot of great questions but um <laughs> Basically, another time that I just want to keep quiet and let them talk more than me is when I ask them, man, this, this seems like a great property. It's in a great area. Why are you even looking to sell the property? And I, I really be quiet because at that point, I'm doing a takeaway where I'm like, man, I'm very surprised you're looking to sell. They have to explain to me why they need to sell or why they want to sell. That's another Absolutely. great point. And, and you know what's funny about that is when you do that is – and I brought this up with the interview with Keith, but I'll say it again. Sometimes having an awkward amount of silence, like even when they're done explaining why they want to sell it, if you continue to sit in silence, it makes the other person want to just naturally talk. Yeah. And, and they're going to continue to share more and more information with you. Very rarely do I have a seller say, are you there? Hello? No, they just keep telling me more and more about the property and about their situation. And, and it's amazing to hear the amount of what most of the time they won't even tell you the main reason why they want to sell the house the first, you know, three to four minutes. It's mm -hmm. the it's the last like 30 seconds. All of a sudden you go, ha, 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 there you go. Now I understand why you yeah. want to sell the house. So it, there's a lot of different aspects of, of closing deals virtually. I, I don't think we could ever, I think we could probably have a, a full week course about doing it, but I think there's been a lot of great points here that you've brought up. 
what are some other tips that you could give people as far as, you know, if this is going to be something that they are transitioning to and they're used to going on appointments and, and now they're going to be on the phones and trying to close deals virtually, what are a couple of other tips that you would give that are just major differences between appointments and, and closing virtually? Yeah. So, you know, one of the, one of the best tips I could give you guys, if you're making that transition, uh, you need not only the proper software data, whatever you guys are using, you have to be able to analyze because when I first started this, I was using uh, Zillow. Like I didn't, when I first started real estate wholesale, I was using Zillow. Worst mistake. I got, luckily I got one deal out of that. Right. But um, you know, a lot of things ran into that, but make sure you have the right software. I'm not able to uh, make an offer on house in seven minutes unless I have MLS access or prop stream, whatever you guys want to use, make sure you have that. You know, uh, the second thing is you have to be able to get information, build rapport much faster. So make sure you have a script. And when it comes to scripts, there's so many scripts out there. You don't have to sound robotic word for word. Remember, you want to be yourself. So the scripts should be more of a guidance as to, okay, now I got to get this out of them, get this out of them. Always be yourself. Again, every conversation is going to go different. Uh, just make sure you build rapport early. Always be yourself. Homeowners can sense when you're, you know, a robot being fake and being yourself. They can sense that for sure. Um, and then when it comes to closing the deals over the phone, um, you're not going to close every single deal over the phone, by the way. There's going to be those deals that require you to go on appointments or you can have an agent go on appointments for you. But one of the most important things, I don't, I don't know about you, RJ, but I religiously don't send out, um, and I train this too, I don't send out contracts unless the homeowner's on the phone with me. Now, some people have to say, hey, I have to have my attorney, my agent, you know, look at it. Oh, no problem. Is there anything in regards to this process that maybe I can answer for you? If they still want to have their attorney or uh, agent look at it, say, hey, no problem. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, usually attorneys, agents have no issues with our, you know, our contracts, our agreements. I never say contracts, homeowner, I say agreements. But here's what I'll do. I'm going to email you over a blank agreement. Take your time and review the agreement with your attorney, your, your agent, your dog, whatever, right? When's a good time I could check back in to see how that went? Make sure I get a time commitment out of them to call them back. But there's no address. There's no purchase price. There's no EMB. It's just all the terms because if you ever sign a contract filled out, there has been moments where, you know, my team has sent out a contract and it's got filled out. But the thing is, sometimes when you send it out, filled out, they're going to start shopping around your price. If they're talking to other investors. Uh, they may not understand something on there as regards to the price or anything. And now, you know, they've gone ghost. Um, so I don't send it out unless they're on the phone, whether that's a blank agreement or filled out, just make sure the person's on the phone. And if you do get an offer accepted, say, Hey, I'm going to email you over an agreement and I'm going to stay on the phone with you just in case you may have any questions. What's the best email for you? Um, something's on the tip of my tongue. One of the biggest things, uh, the audience, you guys are listening. One of the biggest things that I love, and I feel like this is why my conversion is extremely high. And I'm the type of guy, if somebody accepts my offer and they're ready to move forward today, I'm getting that contract today or that evening, not next week, not tomorrow. So something that's big with me, if a homeowner ever agrees to a price, whether it's a $5,000, $10,000, $100,000 deal, every single time I will say, okay, um, you know, let me ask you this. If we can cover all the closing costs, fees, commissions, and the closing a time frame that works best for, for you, what is the best price you can do? And 
a lot of people, RJ, they make the mistake of saying, is that the best price you can do? That's a yes or no question. If you really think about it, is that the best price you can do? They're going to say yes. They're going to say no. More, more than likely, they're going to say yes. They're going to stop their foot on the ground. Yes, that's the best price I can do, right? But if you guys switch that up and you say, if we cover all of X, Y, and Z, restate your benefits, and you say, what is the best price you can do? They might say the same number or go lower, but they're forced to respond with the number. So now I got the deal juicier, and I say, okay, let me do this. I'm not sure if that's a price we can do. I got to double check with my partner, my boss, whatever you guys want to say. But if he gives me the green light on this, is this something you're ready to move forward with today? If they say yes, I put them on hold. Once I get back, I assume the close. And right there, they commit to signing the same moment or the same day. Man, that – uh. We should just we should just delete <laughs> everything that I said before and just that's the entire podcast right there. No, that that was beautiful, man. And the the part about not sending out the agreement unless they're willing to sign it right then and there, uh, that is literally something that I'm going to implement in our company right now. Um, it's not something that we've implemented in the past, and I'm literally dealing with that on like four or five deals right now where it's like the contract has been sent out. They viewed it. They haven't answered the, they haven't signed it. And then now all of a sudden they're not answering the phone. They're not responding to text messages and looking back at it, it was kind of like, all right. So there was a circumstance where the seller called me and I was in my car driving to a hockey game. So looking at these scenarios, okay, I'm, I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second. Mm. I closed them on my way to my hockey game, but there was, I couldn't send the contract then, but he agreed to the price. We're, we're basically taking it sub two, no money out of my pocket. And I've already got a buyer for it on the back end. So what should I have done differently there? Should I have set up another phone call where it says, hey, I'm going to call you and we're going to go over the agreement then? Or how should I have handled that situation differently there, considering I was not available to send the agreement right then and there? So they were available, but you weren't available? I was, I was in the car. I was driving to my yeah. hockey game. And so I he mean, called me out of the blue. I would have one of my acquisitions, guys, if I'm not available – uh, well, the acquisitions guys are the ones who talk to my, my leads. But if I'm talking to somebody specific, I will literally call my acquisitions guy and then I'll connect them with the uh, the homeowner and make sure that they stay on the phone. Sometimes it's vice versa. So sometimes you'll tell people will accept the offer. They'll like everything. They'll say, hey, I'm on my way home. I'll be home in 15 minutes. Go ahead and send the contract. I'll look at it and I'll sign when I get home. I say, hey, company policy is I, I can't send these out unless you're in front of a computer. But, you know, no rush. I'll, I'll, when's a good time I should call you back when you get home? I'll be home at 530. Okay, I'll call you 530. We'll go to, through it then. Um, so I try to get, if I'm not available, I try to get one of my people on my team that is available to go through it with them. Or if you don't have anybody, you have to set up a later time. And what that really shows the seller is that you're not thirsty. You're, you don't really, they need you more than you need them. And when you have that mentality and you set it up at a later time that works best for you and the homeowner, just making sure they're both on the phone, you'll be, you'll be, uh, you know, um, surprised like how much higher your conversion will be. I used to make the mistake of sending that stuff out all the time. And within years of trial and error, I feel like, 
it, it's really been such a massive difference sending out a contract when both people are on the phone, they're engaged in front of a computer or their email. Um, that just creates more commitment out of the homeowner. I love it. I love it, man. So everybody just got to see the, the actual truth as to why I created the Titanium Vault podcast. It, it was actually for me to interview people from across the country that are, are absolutely crushing this and I got a free education. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the closing, the, the closing seminar there, Stephen. Uh, but man, uh, b before we sign off, final thoughts. I know we've, we've referenced it a couple of times, but Closers Olympics, uh, I, I know you and I both thoroughly enjoyed it. But what were some of the takeaways? What Was there somebody in the, the Closers Olympics that you really looked at and said, hey, that's something that I'm taking away and I'm going to implement in my game? Or what was your biggest takeaway from the Closers Olympics? So my first, my biggest surprise, and I'm not saying this just because I'm on your podcast. I've said this before. You know, I even got invited to this is your aggressive style um you know that usually goes against anything that gurus are teaching out there whatever but what i love about that is just you're just yourself right. you're just yourself you're just authentic you know you don't want to come off as a salesy uh fake person you can have techniques and skills but be yourself and have a good time one of the biggest uh takeaways i got um was from steve train like his little voicemail cliffhanger thing and then that he started beautiful. off yeah, he said, oh, I, I probably didn't catch it a good time, right? Like that to, that's something I can start implementing and trying out. Um, and he's very patient. He's extremely patient. You guys all saw that angry seller that uh, was extremely, you know, rude to him. And, but he yeah. just rolled with the punches, you know? Yeah, so for the, the people that don't know about the cliffhanger voicemail, uh, real quick, a, a recap of that was he was on the phone with – the the mother and the the mother on the phone said you need to talk to my son my son's the decision maker and so we were all kind of thinking like steve was a little bit insane because he kept talking to the mom and then he got the son's phone number and then he took the time to hand dial which <clears throat> by the way if you if, in order to hand dial you had to hang up on mojo dialer on your cell phone and then handout. So he was basically saying, I'm going to have to restart the whole dial. Like he was going all in on this, on this mm -hmm. deal. He hand dialed the, the son, son doesn't answer the phone. And his cliffhanger voicemail was, he said, Hey, so-and-so this is Steve. I was just talking to your mom about, and then hung up. Mm. Now imagine if you got that voicemail. Someone out of the blue says, hey, I was talking to your mom about, and then it just hangs up. You are 1,000% going to pick that phone right up as soon as you hear that voicemail and call that number back. And so he actually called him multiple times. I don't know if he ever actually got the guy on the phone or not. Uh, I, I haven't asked Steve about that, but uh, that was probably the most epic moment, in my opinion, of the entire closing. Yeah, I, we I were limited time, but you know yeah. if we had more time you probably would have called back right there but that's just something that you know i picked up myself i love that we can all learn from each other we have different styles we're all closing deals and um, that was one of the you know biggest takeaways for me for sure man and uh i i loved watching you and antonio go go back and forth in that first toxic round. tone man yeah you know <laughs> that was uh that was probably one of the more difficult rounds for me to just, I was pretty decisive on every round. Mm 
Like I felt like this person won, that person won. Y'all's round was was very difficult for me because both of y'all, it's obvious y'all are naturals. You do this on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was very difficult. Uh, I do think that you should have made it to the finals. Um, I've said that before. I did not think that you lost in the second round. Um, yeah. I don't think anyone that lost in the second round lost. So I don't think I lost. <laughs> I don't think Ukraine lost. I felt like the judges got the entire second round wrong, and I've let them know about it. But uh, it, it was good times, man. Uh, it was. Uh, I, I'm excited about the 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 closures Olympics and being a part of it because I got to meet guys like you. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, we we were already friends on Facebook and stuff like that, but I didn't really know a whole lot about you, and I don't think you knew a whole lot about me. Um, yeah, you know, we we basically got to to form a little bit of a brotherhood there in the in the chat. And uh, we still we still connect on a regular basis, so uh, yeah. it was uh, it was good times, and I, I've gotten nothing but positive feedback from the people that have watched it. So um, for anyone that wants to see the recap, uh, I will put another link down in the show notes for you guys, so you can see that. Um, I know a majority of us went back and recapped one of our calls. Um, Stephen, which one did you pick on the recap that you that you did? My first round, the very first round. The first round. Yeah. So, uh, same thing for me. I picked one from the first round, uh, the first verbal that I got. Um, and it was so fun, man, going back and just listening to some of the things. Did, did you notice anything about your call uh, that you that you kind of forgotten about? Because I noticed multiple things <laughs> about my call that I, I never even noticed that I did. Man, I, I didn't notice that I was uh, just kind of, like I said, I was in my zone. I didn't notice I was talking so much to the audience. And then I was looking at the judges, and they're like, when is this guy going to let us talk? But I was just in the zone being myself, you know, so I had a good time. But uh, it was really cool. It, it's funny because when I was doing the um, the commentary for it, I didn't really have to say anything differently than what I already said live on the call. Like, okay, this is going to happen. This is when I did this. So that was pretty interesting to watch myself do that. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> Uh, when I was doing mine, I didn't realize how long it took me to get my first verbal on the phone. Oh yeah. And and yep. so I could kind of see the judge's face. They're like looking at it and they're like, like Brent's feedback was, uh, well, you see RJ, he's really not wasting a whole lot of time. He's just getting the sellers off of the phone pretty quickly. <laughs> And and I'm, I'm like, dude, these guys probably thought like, oh my god, this guy's about to fall flat on his face. Like he is just churning through sellers right yeah. now. And uh, and it was funny just seeing their face because I mean, at one point in time, Max was kind of like turning his head sideways, like, what is this dude doing? Like he is so aggressive. So uh, it was it was good time. So, anyways, man, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, and sharing all the knowledge that you did, uh, you know, for, for anyone that wants to follow you, uh, what's the best way that they can follow your journey and then also learn more about the, the new uh, Real Advisors education programs you've got coming out? Awesome. So uh, the best way you guys can connect with me is on Instagram. Facebook's capped. I'm not too active on there, but on my Instagram, official Stephen Morales. Um, I actually have a, a three-day event coming up uh, July 20th through the 22nd. And it's going to be a lot different than what you guys are used to, you know, as far, as far as acquisition, sales skills, all that stuff, we will be closing deals and making live calls. You guys can find out more information on that on realvisors.com 
slash uh, master closer. And then as far as the deal desk, I mean, that's completely free. You guys can tune into that every Friday at noon. You can go to my uh, Instagram, click the link on my bio, or go to realvisors.com slash deal desk and watch me close your deals live. So, uh, you know, connect with me on, on there. I'll be more than happy to connect with you guys back and uh, just provide as much value as I can, especially people starting out. I know what it's like starting out. So, you know, just showing people different things, whether you're new or experienced, I promise you, you guys can uh, pick up a few gold nuggets from what I'm about to show you. So, Love it, man. Thank you so much. And for anyone that's listening now, I'm going to show you all how much of a creature of habit I am. This is going to be the fourth episode in a row. I'm going to say I intend on doing this in the beginning parts of the episode moving forward, but I am such a creature of habit. I'm still doing it at the end. So for anyone that's listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a five-star rating. If you want to give us less than five stars, the only person I know that likes reviews less than five stars is Steve Trang at Real Estate Disruptors. I don't like them, so don't give them to me. Only give me five stars. Uh, if you're listening on YouTube, make sure you give us a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button. And also, just so you know, I'm kidding. Don't give Steve Trang a three-star review. All right, Stephen, thank you so much, man. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.